Shalom and welcome to A Voice Calling in the Wilderness, a trumpet call, a voice crying out loud for God to those who would hear, so they would run to Him, that they might be warned. We are here sounding the alarm that our time here on earth is short and that we have no time to waste. Here we will expose the truth, teach the word, discuss the dangers, lies, and enemies we are surrounded by, and how to engage in the war that we are standing in the middle of. Today we are joined by Pastor David Evans, and we're going to talk about something straight out of the Olivet Discourse that we previously discussed with Pastor Jerome, that is the beginning of sorrows and the world taking offense at Jesus. Welcome, Pastor Evans. How you doing? Great, great to have oh, you as here. As I should say, g'day. G'day. <laughs> it goes better with your uh, accent there. Yeah. I suppose we have the accent. No, no, I'm an American <laughs> now, so I still have that accent. So can you introduce this idea of the beginning of sorrows to our audience out of the Olivet Discourse that you spoke of here a while back on a Sunday? Yeah, well, I basically uh, was taking it from the scriptures in Matthew 24, where Jesus talked about the beginning of sorrows. He was saying, it's not the days of sorrows. He was saying, this, all these things will happen prior to those days. So... Um, We've got a situation where Jesus is explaining to his disciples what's all going to take place and what to look for. And he wasn't only talking to his disciples, obviously, he was talking down through the centuries to us. And one of the main things that I highlighted was the fact that in the days at the beginning of sorrows, uh, before the days of sorrows comes, that there would be a lot of offenses. A, a lot of people will be offended all over the world. It won't just happen in the world, it will happen in the church as well. Uh, the spirit of offense will grow incredibly. Yeah, so that's that was the gist of the, uh, the message. And I was talking about offenses in the world. You see it everywhere. Um, but then I w moved on to uh, offenses inside the church, which is where Jesus was alluding to because he was starting to talk to the church, he was talking to his disciples, but he was talking to the future church about how offenses will grow to such a degree inside the church that it will um, obviously cause many to fall away, which is a huge warning because we see it happening right now all around us. Right. And that was going to be one of my next questions is, who is his audience? Ultimately, he was really speaking to the church or his followers, I believe. There's actual proof of that in, in verse 12 of Matthew, um, when he actually says, the love of many will grow cold. Now, when he said the word love, he was talking about agape love. Mm -hmm. That was the translated agape, which means, obviously, the divine kind of love will grow cold. So, I mean, if you're in the world and you don't know Jesus, you don't have any agape love in you to start with. So he's obviously addressing those who should have had agape love in them to start with. So he's talking to the church. So let's backtrack just one second. Can you tell me why Jesus's message is so offensive to the world? Not necessarily to the believer, but to the world. Well, obviously you see how there's an anti-Christian sentiment all over the world right now because Jesus said that he was the rock of offense, that you stumbled over him, you get offended in him, uh, you're not going to take the gospel because the gospel is absolute black and white in regards to what it, does, it says is sin and what isn't sin. And so right now across the world, we get the same-sex uh, 
are relationships that are totally uh, against any Christians, uh, you know, because they feel that we uh, um, discriminate against them because of their sexuality. Whereas we love the person, we all mm-hmm. constantly say that we love the person. The Bible says that their particular type of behavior is sinful. It's just one of many sinful behaviors that the Bible lists. But obviously right. that community, the LGBTQ community, is offended by Christians because those who take the word of God for being the word of God and not a watered-down version, um, uh, it's offensive to them. So what Jesus says, everything he stands for is offensive. Yeah. No, you know, we don't see alcoholics or adulterers or even thieves organizing and being offended by Jesus the way we do the same-sex community or even abortionists. Yeah. So there are certain sections of society who have chosen to make their offense of Christ publicly known. Yeah. And and actually sort of a calling card or a championing voice to be that offended. Well, it's a cause, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you can align yourself to a false cause or a, a true cause. And so the LGBTQ community have found it's their cause and they found an enemy. It's a very clear, defined, present enemy, and that is the Christian community who believes in the authority of the Word of God as it being absolute. Um, they're not offended by the, the the Christians out there, the so-called Christians out there who have watered down the gospel to a point where love is love and uh, mm-hmm. and that, that is acceptable and, and, and all that sort of thing. Um, it's a very, very clear and present danger to them. Uh, being a Christian, uh, so we have become their clear, uh, clearly defined enemy. Well, and in doing so, they've allowed themselves to become a victim, which champions other people to their cause, whether they support it or not, because they can take victimhood status. Yeah, I agree, yeah. So what do you think is causing this time in our culture to allow offense to become so prevalent? Because if you look at it, we we have so many different offenses that are going around right now. If you don't wear a mask, people are offended at you. Mm. If you wear a mask, people are offended. If you're a Democrat, people are offended. If you're a Republican and you support President Trump, they're offended. Mm. Everything's an offense. Everything. I think it's a spiritual thing because uh, I think the devil is playing his hand. Uh, there, there is a real devil and there is a real strategy. And the Lord warned us about that strategy, and that strategy in the last days, a spirit of offense, or many will be offended, will be unleashed upon the earth. Now, people have been offended inside church and outside of church for centuries. As, as, as long as humanity has been in existence, people have been offended. But we can clearly identify that the days that we're living in, offense seems to be front and center of all the media Everywhere, everyone's getting offended over everything. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it definitely speaks to the beginning of sorrows, in my estimation. How long is the spirit of offense going to be in existence um, at this level, and will it get even worse? Um, I think it'll get worse. I think it'll get to the stage where the lawlessness will, in in America, in the in the Western world, will become so. Corruption will become so bad 
that um, people won't trust, the legal system won't trust anything anymore, and offenses will, you know. Yeah, I think we're seeing some of the beginnings of that now. Mm. I mean, how can you how can you trust a country that elects a president on fraudulent terms and no one looks into it? You just offended a whole bunch of people. <laughs> I, exactly. I just offended a whole bunch of people who think that his There was election, no fraud. Yeah. Come on. We, we, there's evidence everywhere that there was fraud. But on the other side, they don't think so. They totally believe 100% that there was no fraud because it fits their narrative. Yeah. And so, therefore, the offences continue and will continue to grow. But if you can have corruption, if just let's say that there was fraud and he did get elected based on some kind of fraud, um, then you've got a country right now, if there's any truth to that, you've got a country right now that is so corrupt, it's worse than a third world country. Yeah. Well, if you have half of the country that believe that there was some fraud, and you, you are certain that there was none, wouldn't you invite the investigation to prove them wrong? So you could get everybody back on the same page. Yeah, but I don't think- We that. didn't see that. No, because they know there was fraud. In fact, President Joe Biden actually said, <laughs> I think it was a Freudian slip when he said, we have amassed, what did he say his words? We, we, have, uh, we have created the most- Comprehensive. The most comprehensive, something about, you know, Illegal election system in the so, world. I, I can't remember exactly what it is. Uh, it's, That's okay. There, he doesn't a clip, remember either. There's a video clip uh, <laughs> of him saying it, but I mean, it was probably a Freudian slip. But the one thing I would have to add to this is that it's what I've come to settle on since the inauguration and all that is that, you know, God is the one who puts rulers and kings into power. Yeah. And there were plenty of opportunities for court cases or whatever to go through. And if there was enough fraud for this to throw the election, if God really wanted that exposed because he wanted Trump in office, he would have opened the doors and opened the judges' hearts and provided the pathway for it to happen. Instead, he chose to give us Biden as the leader because that was his choice. And maybe it was a failure on the church. I, you know, that's a speculation. That's an ultimate sovereignty point of view. Right. But at the same- That it, God is sovereign. In, like in we, we, have we, we have certain freedoms and choices, but perhaps it was time for him to say, okay, enough is enough, at least for now. Because if we had had Trump, we would be in a place where our side, our, you know, our Christian conservative viewpoint would be more acceptable, but the other side would be up in a roar and all the riots, you know, would have probably gotten worse. Do you think, though, that God uses men, and when men fail to act, that God really, uh, um, because he's, he's Lord and God and sovereign, that if he can't use men, he'll, look, he'll scour the whole world to look for someone to stand in the gap. And when there is no one, he'll wait a couple of centuries <laughs> until he finds someone to stand in the gap. That's the, that's the history of how God operates in the past. Mm -hmm. And he's allowed terrible leaders to rule his children. Uh, all, all the judges. When, when his children were under judgment. Yeah. Yeah, especially when they needed to be rebuked. Right. And so was it, whose failure was it? It wasn't God's. No. No, that's that not was what I'm saying. Failure. No, it's our failure. It's, it's our failure as conservative Christians. Yes. To actually stand up and uh, as one and say, no, this is unacceptable. I think we all got to the point where 
Um, the majority of Christians, uh, the majority of the conservative right said, you know, there's nothing we can do. Let's just throw our hands up in the air and walk away. I'm never going to vote again. I've heard that say, you know, people say that. So uh, I don't think that's the answer either. But but the thing is, if we isolate this and say that this is, you know, that the unrest that we're seeing is only in America, then we're we're blinded and we're not paying attention to the world. Absolutely. There are riots about lockdowns in every major city in the world. Hmm. It's going, it's a global crisis right now. And that is what points more to this being end times than it is just a crisis in America that we could have stopped maybe. And I think that you can look around the world at different world leaders and see where some nations, Christian nations, for sure, have been under the rebuke of God because of who they, who he has allowed to be in power in that nation. Even in our lifetimes, we can see that. And I think as America is sort of a, a linchpin in, in the free world, if you will, um, mm-hmm. we've been the greatest protector of Israel and civil liberties. And civil liberties. And we've been the greatest um, nation to go out and spread the word in the last couple of centuries across the entirety of the world. And About so, freedoms, yeah. yeah. And God. I mean, yes. we, we have missionaries in every corner of the world from America. So I think that it was absolutely necessary for Satan to attack America. I think it was absolutely essential that American... Christians remember our roots, remember how this nation was formed, why it was formed, and the covenant that was made with God at the foundation of this nation. And there's been a lot of apathy within the church. There's been a lot of, you know, sit back and not cause trouble or political correctness. And I think that that offended God, that we didn't take our place, that we didn't stand up and be the people that we were supposed to be. And we, you know, we let abortion become the law of the land here. I think there was a, there definitely look coming from Australia to America, inside the American culture, there is a sense where you get taught very young, don't offend anybody, Mm. you know, um, play the party line, just go along with it and be nice, be kind, be gentle. Don't say it as is, whereas in the Australian culture, it's, you basically, Say it how it is, regardless of what goes down. A lot of candor, huh? A very, a very candid, and which makes us as a nation probably a little bit more hard to handle. The South Africans are the same, though. You you talk to white South Africans. I don't know much about uh, black South Africans, but the white South African culture is very in your face. Hmm. Americans used to be like that 60, 70 well, years ago. Well, and that's funny because traveling around the world, I, I heard a lot about how that people thought Americans were arrogant. And you would think that would be, candor would be the reason that people would think you were arrogant. So to hear, you know, Australians think that we're really not full of very much candor is kind of a, interesting. I think, you're, I think Americans are candid, uh, very can you know, in your face when you're traveling because you live at, we live at such a higher standard than some of the countries we go to. Mm. And so therefore when it's uh, unacceptable, in hotels where they don't give the same set of standards, then the the uh, the culture shock kicks in and that's when Americans become more vocal. But at home, it's a different story. You're not going to mess up the, the pad where you live, <laughs> you know? Right, right. So I think that's... Uh, Go along, get along here, but then the rest of the world, just do what I said. You know, give me what I want. Yes, yeah. 
Well, if you were tuning in today and you were hoping not to hear an offensive message, I got bad news for you. You're probably going to be offended today. <laughs> we're, we're talking about offense and the beginning of sorrows. And quite honestly, we're in a society that is so easily offended by everything. Likely is that something we're going to say today is going to offend you. And just know that we're saying this out of love. We're, we're not trying to offend you. What does that mean? What's that? Saying it out of love. Well, we speak truth because we love people to know the truth. Right. And so I don't, I'm not saying it in malice to try to hurt get in somebody's face or hurt their feelings. But I, at the same time, I, I want them to know the truth. Mm. Yeah. It's a good question. I'm supposed to ask the questions here. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Because I hear a lot of it. I mean, I watched, you watch on, uh, on TV, um, you know, and interviews where you get some of these Christians, so-called Christians, on, on, in front of the nation, and they said, oh, I'm telling you the truth in love. Uh, but everything that they show and everything by their words and their actions is, is really animosity and hatred. So the world sees these Christians. I mean, Grant and I watched something the other day that was very disturbing. Yeah, and you're right. There are a lot of Christians out there that, and I'm sorry for jumping on you there, but that are seen, and there's a reputation about Christians that they're arrogant, they're offensive, and judgmental. Judgmental. Many are. Don't get me wrong. Many are. But the scriptures clearly tell us, don't judge your brother. Yeah. Romans 14. We can talk about that another day. That's a whole other discussion. Okay. Because <laughs> we are called to judge. But judge correctly. Yes. How do you do that? Right. And and that's the that's the whole myriad of things that people don't get right. But to go out and just passionately push your opinion on somebody as a judgment, it's not correct. Is it condemnation you the word? Absolutely, right. condemnation. Yeah. We we're not called to condemn people. Yeah. But it is not wrong to say scripturally the word says this. And if you're not aligned with that then you need to evaluate what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's calling people to truth. Right, right. And, and it's not my truth. You can call someone to truth without condemning them. But as you have spoken, we have people that get stuck in a doctrine or tradition. Yes. That's their truth. That's that may truth. not be the case. Yeah. That's not necessarily truth, but it's the truth that they've accepted. And And like I said in the message, Jesus knew this. Jesus was very well aware that who he was as a person was going to be culturally different to uh, the others. For example, and I brought up this illustration, John the Baptist's disciples were brought up under John's ministry where John was an incredibly spiritually disciplined man. Um, so he would fast all the time, spend hours and weeks in isolation in the desert. Uh, he would have a whole bunch of spiritual disciplines that he kept, and he would have obviously taught that to his disciples. Um, and then when his disciples left John and went and followed Jesus, they saw all the good stuff and were culture shocked about the bad stuff. They called it bad stuff. And so when they saw Jesus healing the sick and the lame walking and all that sort of stuff, they would have been there and saw one of his first miracles, all his first miracles, uh, the boy that was raised from the dead. So they would have been, yeah, 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 yeah. But then all of a sudden, Jesus walks into a bar. I love how you tell this part. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, he's walking into a bar and he said, and the scriptures clearly tell us that he was a friend of publicans. So he didn't just one-off chance walk into a bar out of a ministry opportunity. <laughs> this was his actual lifestyle because one of the pub owners, the guy who actually owns the pub, is his friend. So he would have walked into the bar and uh, before he got up to the counter or whatever they had back in those days, um, the, the guy would have known his drink would have, and Jesus drank alcohol. I mean, that's, that's a shock to a lot of conservative Christians. They went to the tops of many people's heads right there. <laughs> yeah, they're all offended right now. <laughs> yeah, Me telling you what the scripture says, Jesus drank alcohol. He didn't drink as unto drunkenness, but he drank alcohol. In fact, he made the best alcohol for his, uh, for the wedding. So um, I had college professors try to tell us that it was non-alcoholic wine. <laughs> <laughs> And they had no proof whatsoever. It's just grape juice, right? Yeah, unbelievable. Anyway, the point is that the that John the Baptist's disciples had massive culture shock because they were forbidden under their spiritual disciplines to drink any alcohol, period. Mm -hmm. And now the Son of God who comes to save, you know, the Lamb of God who comes to take take away the sins of the world is now drinking alcohol. That's freaking them right out. And not only that, he's uh He's hanging out with people who are of disrepute. I mean, he hangs out with tax collectors and the worst of the worst in the community as for fraud and thievery and he's hanging out. You know, if you, they, they actually said this of him. If he was really that divine, wouldn't he ascertain, wouldn't he perceive what kind of people these are? Yeah, you got to see modern Christians when a bum walks into their church. Or a prostitute yeah. comes into the church. I mean, 2,000 years later, it's no different. People are still offended by exactly the same thing. And didn't Jesus say that uh, we will be judged based on how we respond to those people? The problem with that scenario is they walked into a church, whereas Jesus walked into their world. That's the big difference. Well, we can talk about that for a minute if you want. How many Christians are walking into that world to save people? Well, not only walking into that world, that world felt very, very um, comfortable with Jesus. He didn't have a judgmental bone on his body. He right. says, I did not come to judge. Uh, you know, John three seventeen. For God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son that if you believe in him, you're not perish but have any life. For he don't, did not come into the world to judge the world, but that the world might have life through him. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, you know, his whole spirit was not a judgmental, condemnatory kind of judgment. But he obviously in himself made judgment calls on people's spirits. Mm -hmm. uh, the young man that was had the opportunity to become the 13th disciple and just missed it, lost it. The rich young ruler, you know, he judged his heart straight away. He could see the hearts of these guys before they even opened their mouth to talk. Right, and that's what, that ultimately, that is what matters with Christ, is the heart. That's it. And for m many people within the church, that's the part that is missing, because they're missing a true heart relationship with God to begin with, that many of them come and eat every Sunday, 
and are fed by the pastor standing up there. And then they go and live a secular life throughout the week mm. and come back to get their Christian life on Sunday. So that heart that we were just talking about isn't there for them to begin with. So they do get easily offended by anything that challenges what they know and what they think they believe, because their belief is pretty shallow, in my opinion, for most of them, because they don't develop that long-term relationship and that depth within their heart. So isn't that what allows for the possibility of the scripture when Christ said, the love of most will grow cold? Because they apparently should have love, but they have never become actual disciples and surrendered their lives to God. So they end up walking away because they're living this dual life. Like Paul rebuked the double-minded, you know, the people who were living of one way and trying to be another, you know. Can I can I say something? It might offend you guys. I don't want to offend you, but... <laughs> um, Go right ahead. This country really wasn't founded on the Judaistic Christian values as much as you think. Most of these Christians, so-called Christians in Congress at the time were also Masons. The Christian foundation didn't come from the, the Masonic. It wasn't 1776. It was before that. It was, the 16, it was 1690 or was it? or 16, 16 something. Right. Right. Um, it's when the pilgrims actually sat down the, in Plymouth Rock. They are the ones that made the covenant with God that they were here okay. on yes. mission to bring Christianity to the world. And so some of those ideas got co-opted into, you know, because I'm sure there were the actual Congress believers. Did, yeah. and, and at the time, Freemasons weren't as we would perceive them now with the illusion of Illuminati and all that stuff. Right. Freemasonry then was a practical brotherhood to be involved with because it was based on people actually being in a trade of masonry or architectures or things like that. All right. Yeah, and your comment is a common response for people when we say that America is founded on Judeo-Christian beliefs because they go immediately to 1773 and the Continental Congress and all that. Yeah, the Constitution. But, but what we really, when I, when I say it, and it sounds like, Grant, you're with me here. When I say it, we're talking about when it goes back to when the pilgrims came, and I, I can't remember his name. The founding of the country. The leader of that, that group. I can't think of his name right now. But he laid a cornerstone on an island in the harbor there. Boston. In Boston. And they committed this land to God at that moment. Right. And so all of the people that followed them over were walking in the footsteps of that commitment. Okay. So my reason I brought that up was we were just talking about the duality of the American Christian. Mm -hmm. Right. How um, those have a more greater propensity, uh, propensity to actually fall away because they're living a dual Christianity. Yes. They're not living a Christianity deep within their heart of hearts. That Christ is not something that you put on Sunday, that Christ is actually a lifestyle. Right. It's who you are. Right. You are hidden in Christ, and he is your be-all and end-all. So there are a whole bunch of Christians who, um, what I call them, you know, they're declarative Christians. Uh, they'll say they're Catholic or, they're, or, or they're, they'll say that they're, um, Presbyterian or, or Methodist. And mm -hmm. I said, what does that mean? And they said, uh, well, I, I profess the faith of, of the Presbyterians. Okay. But what does that mean? <laughs> and he don't, they don't really even know their own doctrines of their own denominations, but they've got the label and that's sticking on their heart and that's good enough to get them into heaven. That's what they think. Right. 
But the label means nothing, obviously. We all know that unless he's sealed as a deposit on your heart, then you're going to face a lost eternity. Right. And and when I speak to non-believers, most of the time, one of their biggest obstacles is the rules that go with being a Christian. Hmm. And I'm like, well, what rules are you talking about? I mean, really, there's there's only, to be a, a Christian in the New Covenant, there's two rules. Hmm. Love God. And love your neighbor. And love your neighbor. Hmm. And that's it. Well, what about this? And what about, I said, no, I said, you're not talking about rules. I said, you're talking about a lifestyle choice. And so once you become a believer, a true believer, there are certain things that you will desire to do. One, I want to please God. Yeah. And so I do these things because I know it will please God. And I want to do that. Not because I have to, but because my relationship with him, it's like having a relationship with your wife. You want to do things that please your wife. Hmm. Because I have that relationship. Isn't that the difference between someone who's religious and someone who has a relationship? I think that's right. Because. But the world doesn't understand that. You're not thinking about all the things I can't do. You're thinking about the thing you can do. Right. And that's a huge difference. Right, right. When you're in a relationship with God, you just naturally want to obey, naturally want to uh, become more sanctified. Whereas if you're in a religion with God, it's work. <laughs> the, the, it's 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 a whole bunch of rules. Yeah, it's that work. You have to not oh, do. I got to do this. Oh, I got to go do that. No. And I'm then not. you got to, and then you got those who calculate their whole rule system, where um, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go steal this thing, or I'm going to commit adultery, or whatever. And then I'll go to my priest, and he'll give me a lot of hail marys to say, but then I'll be okay. <laughs> So it's calculated. Premeditated sin. Yeah. Pastor Gary has given um, an illustration in the past about a woman who was married to this man who drew out this long list of things that he required of her to do every day. And so she would do them, but she would hate doing these. She'd hate doing this. She'd hate doing that. But she would do them. She would go through. And eventually their marriage didn't last and, um, and they got divorced. And later on, she met another man who actually loved her and she fell in love with him. And one day uh, after they were married, she realized that she was doing all the same things she was doing for her first husband. But in the second marriage, she didn't even realize it and she didn't care. She loved doing it because she loved him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes back to that relationship. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about how people fall away from their love, how this beginning of sorrows is going to draw people away. Are you seeing Christians today, I think we touched on this a little bit, that are just being, I wouldn't say persecuted yet in America, but offended, people are offended by them just because they're Christian? Yeah, you saw the guy with the cakes. You saw the uh, the, the football coach. Privately, mm-hmm. he wanted to uh, pray before the football game at high school. He's a high school football coach. He kneels down and some person in the stands see him kneeling down and praying and reported him to the school board and got him fired. They were offended over this guy praying. So, I mean, that's just one example. And then the guy, obviously, with the cakes. He's back in the news, by the way. Oh, Oh, yeah, someone else is trying Uh, to sue him. They were trying to, now they want to sue him for not making a cake for a gender transition cake. It'll never end. But these are... uh, these are not obscure anymore. We're hearing about that guy because he's been in the 
news. It's happening everywhere. I mean, you've got whole school situations where if you disagreed as a parent with your child sitting through a week of transgender education that just got passed in Stuart, where the, uh, you know, that community can come in and try and propagate and teach our teenagers about their way of life, then uh, you've, you've got a parent that now is, is basically, to, you know, get out. Cancel culture is ridiculous. Yeah, I find that amazing that we they would let this group come in and teach that, but what about the antithesis of that group? Yeah, they want Do the they Bible. come and teach? Well, that's the thing. What happened in Australia, it became so um, fluent, uh, fluid rather, where uh, the school boards would allow, uh, there was one case where a, a Muslim came in and wanted to teach the Quran. And so there was, so what we did as Christians was we rose up and we said, okay, you're discriminating against us unless you let us come in as Christians and teach the same amount of hours, the same thing, but from a Christian point of view. But you see that they, they actually ban uh, the Christian worldview in regards to uh, creation versus the theory of evolution. So what happened when, you're, when the Christians rose up and did that? Well, we got a, a equal access. What, the, they couldn't deny us. So what they did was after a while, because we kept on responding, okay, you're going to give ac equal access to the homosexual community, then we want heterosexual uh, marriage people who are, happen to be Christian to come in and talk about their sexuality. And if you don't, we're going to sue you for discrimination. And the, what was the ultimate outcome of that? Well, eventually th they stopped everybody in certain areas. It's pocketed. It's all over Australia. You go into one area and everything's allowed. And in another area, nothing's allowed. Hmm. It's to do with the school board in a certain area. I mean, I used to go into school for schools for 15 years, doing lunchtime programs, um, doing uh, mini concerts to invite all these kids out to our rallies where we'd preach the gospel. Because we recognize that high school is the bottleneck of, of society. Everyone has to go through high school. Mm -hmm. And that's in the formation years of belief systems and worldviews. Obviously, the devil has figured that one out. And so that's why he's pushed a, such a, a left-wing feminist point of view right throughout all our schools because he wants to corrupt the next generation. Yep. So where does offense lead? To death. That's what the scriptures say. It says if, if you're offended, then offense only leads to death. So ultimately, this spiritual is spiritual and physical. This is going to lead to a hatred that causes that, right? Yeah. So we see people already, I think, that absolutely hate each other because of these belief differences. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw that in the last election, right? Hmm. People on the left absolutely hated people that supported President Trump. Yeah. I mean, they made up just amazing amount of names for them. And on the right, we saw that too, though. Mm. I mean, we saw people hating people because they were BLM or hating people because they were Antifa. Mm. Rather than not agreeing with the ideas, not hating the outcome, they were hating the individuals. Yeah, that's, that's very American, though. 
Is it? Yeah, it's not. It's, in Australia, um, obviously, you, you're you're raised as an individual. I mean, we had a number one top hit that went throughout Australia for weeks and weeks at number one, and and this, the lyric was, "I'm an individual. You can't fool me." Hmm. And basically, in Australian culture, is that what I believe is not who I am. So we can set we separate what we believe from who we are, our political beliefs, because, you know, your beliefs can change. You know, you can change which side of the pendulum you stand on, but you as a person, you're still love for who you are, not your beliefs. However, in America, that's not the case. What you believe is who you are, and so you gravitate to tribalism, and so there's tribes all the way through throughout America with that belief system. And uh, so, obviously, I'm part of the conservative uh, right, and I'm a part of that tribe. And so, uh, you know, the conservative right's beliefs are my beliefs, and I will offend a whole bunch of people who are on the liberal left because that's their tribe against my tribe. I think in part the tribalism was a natural occurrence because of the size and the diversity of America, uh, with how many actual regions there are of America. However, I would say that in the not-too-distant past, um, we had a certain level of true tolerance in the sense that you allowed someone else to speak their mind, and then you could have actual healthy debate about it, and you could walk away not hating the other person, even if you disagree. Now, you we're in the place where if you, you know, if you don't agree with the rhetoric that's being purported, you're bashed and people get angry, and, mm. and there's calls for cancel culture. I mean, it's ridiculous now. You know, but it wasn't too long ago where you were able to freely have conversations with people uh, that were opinion-based. Yeah, I would agree. I, I mean, I've had friends on both sides of the aisle in the past, you know, liberal friends and and conservative friends. But for me, I think it was about the time that we got President Obama that I noticed that people that I had worked with for years mm. that were were liberals, suddenly you couldn't have a conversation where you didn't agree with them or you were hatred. The, ide- the ideology that came in was called resistance. Yeah, it, it was They crazy. had to resist at every level. I mean, they would literally call HR on you for bullying them when they started a conversation and you just disagreed. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, what? How, yeah. What just happened? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, th- those are Marxist tactics. It was terrifying. And, and I've only seen it get more and more out of control, I would say, as the years have passed. Yeah. It's funny, though. They say, is this not true, that the liberal left were spouting off tolerance, 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 uh, you know, only 30 years ago. They were saying you're intolerant, all you conservative right-wingers are intolerant. Why don't you be more loose and, and be tolerant of our viewpoints? Now it's 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 literally flipped on its head. Mm-hmm. Well, it's swung back and forth at different times in the last hundred years where one side would be a little bit more firm, but now it's just such a radical place. You know, liberalism used to be respected in the sense that the people were critical thinkers. Their ideas may not have been good ideas for a conservative Christian America, 
but at least they tried to think through things and they would accept where their faults were when someone would point out, you know, logic to them. Now that doesn't exist. Well, and don't get me wrong, the the liberal left is still asking for tolerance in some areas. No, I'm sorry, demanding tolerance mm. as they beat you with a club. Yeah, yeah. You well, know. I saw, I mean, Buttigieg was uh, doing a talk and uh, obviously a liberal left stood up and she had a um, she had a viewpoint which was very different to the liberal lefts of today, where she actually believed believed in the right to life, and yet she was a Democrat. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's many of those. Out and there. so, <laughs> but when she stood up and said to Buttigieg, uh, who was Candace and become mm -hmm. president, uh, do, "Is there a place for me in the Liberal Party and in, in the in the uh, Democratic Party?" And, and Buttigieg just told her flat out, "No." Yeah, I think that's, that's interesting, and it was something that a lot of people did see during this last election cycle was there is a significant difference between the Democrats of old and this new Democratic Party. Do you think the ideas, the dogma, the beliefs have become more and more polarized? Like yeah. further and further apart? Absolutely. There's very few people that are still in the middle somewhere. I think that's right. But people have to get on one side or get on the other. For example, we're going to offend some people now by saying that in my estimation, you cannot be a Democrat and a Christian based on the big values. I, I think that I would maybe clarify that a little. I think you could be a Democrat of the 50s and 60s. No, I'm saying now. But today's it's so polarized. So the, the today's Democratic Party in their support of abortion. Yeah. So that alone would disqualify opinion, any Christian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's my point. You l line up all the freedoms and everything that Democrats are for and all the freedoms and everything that the Republicans are for, and then you try and superimpose onto that uh, Christ-like worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kingdom is going to fall on the Republican side and be nowhere well, I, I found on the Democratic I, side. I don't think the kingdom would choose either side. I know, uh, I know. Maybe, but but it's know, closely, more closely I, I mean, we, we have a lot of aligned values. Um, I think we make a lot of mistakes as well. Absolutely. But it, it, I don't identify uh, or you know as one or the other. My whole voting process, right now it's around one issue. Is this person for or against abortion? Because I think that's the greatest offense America has had against God up until this point. Now, we're in a place now where we've got this, you know, destroying gender and destroying, mm. you know, that whole family core. Um, and I think that might be even more offensive to God. But murdering unborn babies, to me, is our biggest sin. And I have to vote on the side of God on that. And but you so, got a lot of... So it doesn't matter who it is yeah. as long... And like, I choose the best candidate who aligns on that one topic. Well, closely God. to that... As as close as you can. And as close as we're allowed to. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I think... Without throwing away a vote. I yeah. think all these other superfluous issues out there, I think that the abortion issue is probably the most polarizing issue in America. Hmm. Uh, up until this point, I would agree. I would say with this new transgender push, I, I think, think it's that trying I, to get there, but I don't think it's there it's yet. It's not there yet, but it's really... It, I, I think it's there. on. I think it's on the brink if we don't stand up and say. But something. for true Christians, sacrificing the innocent lives is murder. Is never going to be okay. No, never going to no, be exactly. okay. Exactly. 
The spirit of God within you is going to tell you that. Right, right. Uh, the spirit of life within you. I mean, if John the Baptist spirit could leap within his mother when he came close to the divine divinity of Christ in her mother, in, in Mary, then it obviously says that a child within the womb has a spirit of God within them. Mm-hmm. And it is it's fully alive. It's not just a bunch of cells randomly put together right. to, that will genetically create a human life. So you've got that argument, but that argument has is just one of the many. Again, creation versus evolution. Uh, you've got the climate change argument. You've got the all those things. So I think if you go down all the policies, the the Democrats are becoming more and more anti-Christ than the Republicans. Well, someone has to do that. <laughs> the book says somebody has to do that. So we've talked about a lot of different things today that can definitely offend people. Everybody can be offended by something, <laughs> right? So how would you prescribe that Christians should prepare themselves to withstand this offensive culture and the abuses because of this offense? Okay, two different things. One is what do you do with when the world starts to attack you and is offended by you, uh, what you stand for? And the other one is what happens inside the church so that you don't go the way of the many that fall away. And mm-hmm. that's the warning. So we don't don't have many that fall away. And in our church, particularly in uh, Palm City New Hope, I firm, firmly believe because of the quality of teaching and the, and, the, and the quality of absolute godly people that we have who are allowed to speak into our life, that most, the greater percentage is not going to fall away out of this congregation. But I, I, I don't hold much hope for other congregations I see around the country. Um, so therefore... How do you deal with it in the church? Obviously, it's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, they'll be uh, assigned a torment to you until you pay back your debt in full. It's, it's, it's in regard to that story, how the master forgave the guy for, his, for the millions of dollars that he owed, and then this guy went out and beat up the dude that owed him a few bucks. Yeah. Okay, that story shows psychologically you're going to have to pay back for unforgiveness. There's a debt when you've got unforgiveness in your heart and God's wanting you to forgive. So in the church, to overcome the antidote to offensiveness, uh, to offense is forgiveness. Okay. Uh, and the second antidote is love. Obviously, to start operating in love. Love is patient. You're going to be patient if you're operating in true love, you're going to be patient with the guy that's just been an idiot <laughs> and offended you. You're not going to get offended by him because you're going to be patient with him. And love covers a multitude of sin. And just because you love people doesn't mean you like everything about them. No, you don't have to like them. <laughs> it doesn't say you have to like them. It says you just have to love them. And that's a bunch of do's. Do this, do that, do that. <laughs> no. loving Loving somebody in a sense, is, is, you know, the Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, love, you know, overcomes, uh, love always trusts, always hopes, always believes. Um, and so if you can do those things, it's, it's an action. It's a choice. It's an action to do those things. Emotionally on a different level, 
some people take years to forgive the person who offended them and and hurt them and abused them. Uh, some people can take, you know, just a decision. Mm-hmm. But that's all our individual journey of sanctification, uh, to become more like Christ, to be quick to forgive, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. So those are the two main areas. And then uh, the third area is obviously Romans chapter 14. Regarding disputable matters, how do you handle things in the church when you dispute over things? And like I said in my message, um, I've, I've come to a conclusion in my own heart that I base my faith on the absolutes and essentials of the gospel and not on the doctrines which have notoriously divided us. Yes, I'd have my opinion and my beliefs on those doctrines, but my faith or my core is based on the absolutes and essentials. It is by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is those absolutes and essentials that uh, I stand on and is unmovable. But when it comes to the doctrines which divide, like speaking in tongues and and uh, you know other doctrines, like when do you take communion and all those other, you mm-hmm. know, does the actual bread turn to flesh in your mouth, all that sort of stuff. Those are peripheral. So whatever you believe such about such things, just treat with a handful of grace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, great. So what do you think Christians can expect going forward because we are in the beginnings of sorrows? And should Christians prepare themselves for real persecution in this land? Absolutely. Like I said, I think this is just the beginning, and it's a beginning of sorrows, and Jesus was, basically, you can rephrase that statement, the beginning of the last days. Okay. So we're not in the last days yet. So we're at the <laughs> We're at the beginning of those last days. So whether that's 60 years, 100 years, I won't be around. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> 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 the generation who sees all these things come to pass will not pass away. There's still a couple things that haven't happened, but you, you might witness you will them. You'll be wishing for death, but not not receive it. Well, I, I think that was a warning for those who were not believers in Christ. But my point is, we're at the beginnings of the last days. Yes. I don't think we're in the last days not yet. yet. No, I think you're right. The 70th week of Daniel has not started yet. No, no. absolutely not. We've... We're still missing a couple of key things, such as a peace te- treaty, a, a temple, and a one world government. Yeah. So, how many years do you think it's going to be before that comes in? You know, I used to think that that would take decades. Yeah. But here's what I was absolutely floored with: four years of President Trump. I watched him make fundamental changes to this nation in three years, working against a Congress most of that time. But incredible changes to the way the country operated, the way it thought, just all kinds of things. I thought, well, that's just, it's happening so fast now. So this new administration that we have, this new president, has enacted change at a rate that I did not think was possible. In his first month, he had done more than our previous president was able to accomplish in the first two years And that two years was probably more than the previous two presidents accomplished. So I see it as an exponential rate of change. So what I think should have taken decades in the past, it could happen in 
two, three, four years, maybe. I mean, if they, if, if our society, and, and I still firmly believe that, and maybe it's American arrogance, but I firmly believe that this society is the breaking point of the world. Hmm. If they can break this society down and make it mostly socialist hmm. in nature or communist in nature, then the rest of the world will not be able to withstand because this has been the strength backbone of the world for so long. We've supported most of Europe for my entire life. I mean, we were Germany's military since World War II. Isn't there a recording of one of the Rockefellers saying that America was already a socialist country? He said it was, it was already, and the illusion that most Americans have is that you're a democratic republic, but there is a select few of them that actually control this country. Well, and I think that there's, unfortunately, probably a modicum of truth to that at least, because if you look at the power that the techno companies are extracting right now mm. or using, mm. they're kind of proven that's true. These technical companies have the power of the cancel culture in the palm of their hand. I mean, when you can shut up the president of the United States, yeah. who needs more power than that? Well, he'd just start a company all of his own. Well, something other than Twitter and next well, minute you know he's maybe. got millions he's actually, he's of... He's actually have, about to... Yeah, um, he's about to launch a new platform, but how will that work? Because they tried to do that with Parler. And they deplatformed it. They took it off its server. Right. Yeah, but he's they're going to put it back on another server that's not controlled by the but it's three. Nothing like it was when it started. I no, mean, no. It, it's weak. No, but where is it? And nobody can find it. That's yeah. the other thing. That's it. So, so you got you got to find a people up. You got to find a server and a platform that's not controlled by the big three. The problem I'm having with this whole um, who who is actually in control? Well, that's a very good question. I don't know that any of us know the real answer to that. I think from all appearances, it looks like some of the tech companies have most of the control and power. I mean, you look at what they did to a guy that makes pillows. I mean, they tried to go and destroy yeah. this guy. Yeah. Because but You he, also have to kind of assume, though, that they answer to some yeah. somebody somewhere because they all seem to be on the similar page and they're supposed to be competing companies. Yeah, they're, coalition, they're a coalition of organizations that are operating in concert, so somebody somewhere is pulling those strings. So do you think right. we wrestle not against flesh and blood? Oh, absolutely we do. This well, is a prince and power, principalities and powers thing. Right. So there are powers in place right now over the top levels of government, not even government. I mean, I was staggered that your federal bank, the Federal Bank of America, is not even owned by Congress or anyone in government. Oh, it's an independent company. It's an independent company owned by who? Banking families. Yeah. So that's two, 200, 200 of the most wealthy families in the okay, world so going back 200 years. So is the adage true? He who controls the purse controls. He yes who, and he no. He who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes and no. So our adherence to the Federal Reserve is voluntary. At any point in time, the America could say, we're done with you. We owe you nothing. Now, there would be a lot of repercussions from doing that. Um, the dollar, as we know it today, would instantly be worthless. Worthless. Because they would stop trading in oil in it. I mean, that that's the thing that props up our dollar, is the oil trade. Right, I don't All, know about any of that. So. Yeah, uh, there's a deal with the, the oil producers that they trade only in American dollars. I'm paying a dollar more for fuel 
Man, yeah, no, no, I'm not saying it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Under our new president, our, our gas prices are going back up like crazy. Yeah. But that's what makes our dollar. Well, and they got to pay off the loans that the Federal Reserve has given us over the last few years, quantitative easing. So they got to keep drawing money. So someone is in control. Yeah. That's not the government. Absolutely. They're not. puppets. Not, not in, ultimately, no. That's right. So before this last year of 2020, um, before like all the thoughts and conspiracies started to come to a boiling point and a head, my outlook has been for many, many years that there is a grand conspiracy. And the grand conspiracy is that Satan is the ruler of the air, right? And he's mm. the one that's trying to bring about his antichrist kingdom. And so while all these people that we see and all these companies that we see may have a part to play and they may not appear connected, they're all connected through the fact that they're being controlled by greed and corruption. And I'm sure there are a handful of these people that might be true believers in God and their companies are not part of the agenda. But when you look at the big tech five and how much they control us now, it went from like an oligarchy of the Rothschilds and the Carnegies, and it kind of transformed into this techocracy where you've got these tech companies that are in the same position of power because we feed them so much money and so much of our own personal information and data that they're at the point where they pretty much own us uh, well, because we have a device done. in our pocket that we carry around everywhere. Yeah, Snowden already proved that we they already have the data. <laughs> I don't think they're in charge of the whole agenda going on and wherever that leads to it, ultimately it's Satan's plan because hmm. that's his goal and he's the one that's trying to rule from underneath. Right. So all the conspiracy is the connection. It comes to Satan. You know, that's where the real conspiracy yeah, lies. Absolutely. It's like you said, we, we wrestle well, uh, not think, against flesh and blood. I think that goes back to answer your question a minute ago is the, the framework for this one world government, hmm. the lattice is laid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Years ago. And, and under Bush, there are senior. There are a lot of the elements in place to make it functional today. Mm. Yes. For the um, first time in history, we're at that point. And Bush Sr. said we we're getting ready to form a new world order. Mm. I mean, he said this yeah, in a speech. Yeah. They weren't hiding it, that and, what their and, goal and was. And by the way, he was a quote unquote Republican. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, there there are a lot of people that have been moving us in that direction. There are a lot of things that have kept it from just going over the precipice and happening. And I'm sure God's hand being one of them. But on earth, for sure, there's a, you can't push too far before you get a retroactive occurrence, which I think mm. is what Trump was. They were pushing so hard under Obama mm. and they went, they went a little too far too fast for Americans to swallow it. Yeah. And so we reacted in a way that was not expected. They fully expected. But they had a terrible candidate. Oh, but they knew, they they had it set up. They thought she was going to win. Yeah, she was terrible candidate. She's, I mean, I don't think, she was not as bad as what Biden is in my understanding. I mean, the guy didn't hardly do anything and he still got fraudulently elected. So well, they're going to control everything from They every fixed the machine is what they did. I still think that the surprise of Trump winning was more a move of God to say, hey, okay, stop 
pause, have some time to think about this, realize what's going on while there's still time. But you make the point of saying that you think that Trump may be an antithetical reaction to um, what was going on with the pushing Mm -hmm. America forward. My question to that is, will we have another one? Because right now, in the first 100 days of Biden's presidency, he's signed more executive orders than anybody else has in that time period. And most of the legislation he's pushing through is not actual legislation, it's executive order. However, the system is supporting him on this. So they're well, pushing it faster. He's pushed faster than Obama did in, in you know, his first four years, in his first hundred days. So is there going to be an antithetical um, I reaction to that? Or yeah, is, well, is God just going to lift his hand and say, okay, enough is that, enough? I think there's a couple of things that are, that depends on. One, is it God's timing? Because mm-hmm. ultimately that's what it comes down to, right. God's timing. But I think all, as we've seen throughout history, and, and it's, it's all throughout the scriptures, will our people humble themselves? Mm. Will we get on our knees and will we pray and repent? That's what I tried to say at the beginning of this conversation. Who's at fault? Well, I ultimately, I think it's the it's us. It's the it's, church. It's the church. And so it, it, God works through people. Yeah, and if we if we are willing, this is really going to offend people out there, but if we're willing to humble ourselves, take responsibility for our apathetic behavior, allowing abortion, allowing just transgender homosexual movement, allowing these things to permeate our society— out of the idea of keeping the peace or not feeling like we have the authority or power to do anything about it, if we aren't on our knees begging God for forgiveness, repenting of that, and then going out and doing something to help maybe make it change in this world, then absolutely I think God's going to go, if you're not going to fight for yourselves, I'm not going to fight for you. Mm, that's hardcore because we had a whole bunch of Christians meet on the mall and praying and a whole yeah, bunch did. of prophets prophesying and I think it's the right and direction. a whole bunch of people, and none of it came to pass. Unless he gets Trump gets in the second term. You say, we don't know that it hasn't come to pass. It didn't come to pass at that time. See, what, but what you, I, ha- I feel don't the think danger you do it once, is, right? I feel the danger is that we, we're creating by repeated so-called failure of, of, the, of the Christian community or the, or, or the faith community. Um, to receive uh, favor from the Lord, there will grow a disillusionment. And you see it in people just making the decision as pointless me. If fraud could happen at that level, it's pointless me uh, even voting. But it's not. But my point is that disillusionment is going to have to continue as well. Yeah, oh, no. They're bedfellows with uh, offenses. Right, right. Well, People have to ask themselves, what did David do as he crossed the desert? He stopped every few steps and made a sacrifice. He didn't do it once and say, I'm done. I'm going to cross now. He went a few steps and he made a sacrifice. He did it again. And it's like shampooing your hair, rinse and repeat, right? We don't just have this big thing on the mall and say, oh, well, that's it. What if you're bold? (laughs) (laughs) I'll get but you, you, know, you know what I'm blade. saying? You just For don't our listeners, do it. I'm bold. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand what you're saying. We don't just do this one time and say, okay, God, now please do what we want. Mm-hmm. He's not a fair godmother. Here's the thing that 
He's not a genie. You're not going to grant a wish. It, it, this is what this is what astounds me and makes me wonder about the majesty of who God is. You've got a whole bunch of people who is his chosen race, and they're trapped in a nation that turns against them. They're trapped in Egypt. Yep. They have a covenant with God. Remember, they have a very fresh covenant with God that they would be a people unto the Lord with their own land. And yet they find themselves for hundreds of years in Goshen, in Egypt, under the thumb as slaves. Mm -hmm. They weren't like that in the beginning. But over time, they found themselves as slaves. Now, do you think year one, uh, as soon as someone cracked the whip on someone's back, on a Jewish guy's back, that guy would have gone privately to his closet and prayed and cried out to God, can you please deliver me from these oppressors? It wasn't year one God didn't act. It wasn't year two God acted. It wasn't year three. It was hundreds of years that God allowed these people to be under bondage to the Egyptian uh, slave masters. And then the word of God says, the whole group of them cried out as one. And when they cried out as one, God finally heard them yes. and brought a deliverer in the in sense of Moses. So here's a situation. How, what moves the heart of God what what can we do to move the heart of God to save our nation? Well, I think there's a couple things. One, I think you're alluding to it there, is we need to be of one voice. And if we can get our nation, just our nation, I think, to be of one voice, not Methodists and Baptists versus Catholics, one voice, the believers. The faith community. Yes, one voice of believers crying out to God together at the same time. That's also important. Yes, that, well, that's what did it for and the children of Israel. The, but the other piece of that is that we need to clean up our house. We have a lot of garbage in our houses. We have people preaching from the pulpit that are addicted to pornography. Yeah. We have people that are in our churches that are in adulterous relationships. Yeah. We're not purifying ourselves to go before God. Yeah. The priests always purify themselves before going to God. Mm -hmm. We're called to be priests as Christians. So we need to purify our home. We need to purify ourselves. Then we need to come together in one voice and God will hear us. I think that's the key is starting out at the lowest level because, you know, the scripture says, don't try to take out the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own. Um, I think most of what we're seeing in this country and in the world right now is a systemic problem of a deeper thing of sin is becoming more and more rampant as the true believers have been more and more pushed down, especially in America. You've got so many false believers in America now that claim to be Christians, but they're not really. But if you start at the root, uh, and I know you hate that word, David, but if you start at the root and you allow God to purify the root, then the life will come back into the tree. It was Christ who cursed the root of the fig But are tree. we working against divine providence? Well, we don't know that until we. This, this, this we is the futility. I go. I go. We have to get. I, I don't think it's ever God's plan to to say no. Don't purify yourself. No, no, no. I I'm, th I I'm think, saying. I think that's always a good step, and then you can be in a position to better hear what God's will is. Are we at the beginning of sorrows, or aren't we? Because if we are, then it's going to go the way it's going to go, right. regardless of how much we pray, and therefore the futility kicks in. And therefore, why why go
go to all the energy of rallying the whole nation together because that's almost an impossible task. But, but two I th- reasons. I think that's. I think that that's. A, You're just a delaying step the inevitable. The road. But two reasons to do that. One, I love God, and I want to get with Him and ask Him what He's told me to do, and ask for a favor. That doesn't mean that He will. The answer sometimes is no. Mm-hmm. But two, I love my nation. I love my people of my nation. Mm-hmm. So if I can get them to be on board and doing this with God, then they're more likely to withstand the days that come. Yeah, you're delaying the inevitable. No, but they're more likely not to fall away because there are many are going to be falling away. And I don't want to see that either. No. So this whole- Do whatever you can uh, to save some. Yes, absolutely. Mm, Yeah. I think that's what this podcast is about, to help people discuss what they can do in order to- sure up their salvation, you know, make, yeah, their, ele- make their salvation and election sure. Absolutely. Mm. And, and so as I close here, I, I want to thank you very much for coming to talk to us today. No um, worries. Um, it, was a, it was a great discussion to, uh, to talk about the beginning of sorrows and offense with uh, Jesus and with Christians, mm. both without and within the church. And I think there's a lot more to be said about that. So I, I suspect that we will be able to talk again. So thank you for being here with us today. I really appreciate it. And for our listeners, please take a moment and subscribe to our podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at vrbroadcast.org, where you can find more teaching and ask questions of the show and our guests. Also, find us on Facebook at A Voice Calling in the Wilderness. And if you would like to hear more messages from Pastor Evans, you can find him on pcnh.church. But send all your uh, offensive mail, email to JD. (laughs) Don't send it to me. (laughs) And do us a favor, please. Recommend the podcast to your friends and family. And thank you for listening and have a blessed day.